Welcome to today's episode on the Life in the Front Office podcast. This is a, another episode as a part of the series with the Vinix Sport and Entertainment Management Program presenting the uh, Building the Next Generation series. Uh, I'm really excited to be joined by Dr. Russell Clayton of the USF program. Uh, he is a professor there and Dr. Clayton's got a really interesting perspective for us today. As, as, as many know, a lot of professors will do research in various topics. He likes to call himself a jack of all trades. But, you know, when you, when you talk about uh, persuasion and emotional intelligence and resiliency, it's, it's, those are some things that not a lot of people talk about all the time. And so I'm really excited to dive into those topics today with him. Uh, Dr. Clayton, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Jake. I appreciate you having me. Absolutely. So give us a quick GPS as to how you got to where you are now. And, and I want you to be able to provide the perspective for our listeners. We've had, you know, 150 plus guests on by this point that have all had, you know, v- variety of roles within the industry. Yourself, you know, you, you said you spent some time as we were talking before this, you know, fundraising on the academic side and then going into the classroom you, you get to kind of see sports through a much different lens than everyone else where you're seeing it from afar, but at the same time, educating those on it. Absolutely. So you're exactly right. I, I have been able to view the, the importance of sports and the intersection of sports with academics for, for many years now. Um, as we were talking up front, you know, before we started recording, I was in academic fundraising before I ever went to graduate school, before I ever thought about becoming a professor. And I was raising money first for a business school, then for an engineering school. And it was amazing that at both of those universities, the success of our academic fundraising was pretty, pretty highly correlated with the success of the big ticket uh, athletic programs. So, for example, when I was at Auburn, when the football program was doing well, the academic fundraising was also doing well. When the football team dipped a little bit, had some struggles, so did the academic fundraising. You know, not a direct one-to-one connection there or a one-to-one correlation, but, you know, it was pretty visible to see. I saw, you know, I I realized at that point just how important athletics, uh, you know, how it entered interfaces and intersects with so many different things. Fast forward to now, I've been to graduate school, got the doctorate, had a couple of different teaching positions, fortunate to be teaching at the University of South Florida, and I feel it um, very much as a privilege to be able to teach a course each year to the Vinick Sport and Entertainment Management students. Um, Great group of students, and it's so neat because I get to take everything that I teach on a normal basis in my other classes at USF, but I'm with a cohort of students who are, at the same time they're in my class, they're, they're interning with the Tampa Bay Rays, they're interning with the Tampa Bay Lightning, who just happens to be two of my favorite sports teams. So it's really cool to hear their stories and to hear how the things that are, quote, academic in my class translate so easily into their jobs at Vinick Sport and Entertainment, at the Tampa Bay Rays, at the Lightning. It's really fascinating. Well, and behind all of it, you know, business is at the root, right? And so when you think about our our business, um, it is a business. And, you know, when you think about 
ultimately what what plays into you know the the role of sport within business um there's a lot of correlation right from whether it's fundraising whether it's finance whether it's accounting whether it's legal i mean the list goes on and on right and we like to we like to talk about how if you're not uh if you're not on the field as a coach or as a trainer or as a you know strength uh or medical person uh, you're really not touching necessarily the the player side of things right you are on the business side and right. so when you when you think about the true business application of what people in the business fortune 500 companies focus on all the time you know the things that we mentioned at the beginning of this episode emotional intelligence resiliency persuasion when you think about those three topics how do they highly correlate into the sports world and uh, where where are some of the the cross pollinations that you see the most there yeah well i think first of all you you hit the nail on the head that that sports is business right absolutely and it, and like you said i like i like the way you phrased it if you're not on the field having essentially interaction with 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 the athletes then you're on the business side at the end of the day it is a business at the end of the day sports have to make money in most cases um you know especially big time college sports and certainly professional sports there's there is an owner who is expecting a return so it absolutely is business and to top it off it's a stressful business right a lot of long hours that's what i've learned uh, from interacting with with sports professionals both uh, through the Vinick program at USF and just the opportunity to meet others throughout the course of my career you know there, it's a stressful job much like other stressful industries out there the emotional intelligence component is certainly a valid crossover or connection there I think the resilience thing is is huge because with stress comes the potential for burnout uh, you know, we, we have, we have a couple of, you know, we can reduce it down to a couple of outcomes when we're stressed, we can either burn out or we can bounce back. The bounce back is the resilience. And I have to believe, you know, and you're, you're, you're in the industry. There are many times when we're tempted to, to burn out, to flame out the resilience that gives us that ability to bounce back from those stressful situations that we, that we all go through. Yeah, you, the stress point is is interesting, right? Because if you are, if you're, you know, running the Super Bowl, you got one day. Now, there's a lot of days that build up to that one day, right? But you know, if you're running a, a tournament, right, that's a week long, that's your Super Bowl of the year. Yeah, got a, but a much different stress than if you're working for a baseball team where you got 162 games and 81 of them are, you know, you've got all these home stands and it's just this yeah. long, really drawn out season two totally different uh, kind of levels of, of stress in the sense of the, a, the longevity and the intensity, right? Yeah. And, and you're exactly right. You know, I, I, I've always thought that with, you know, with major league baseball, you got 81 chances to get it right at home, but that also means you get 81 chances to fail. You've got 81 instances of the stress accumulating and what we know a lot from the, you know, the old nerdy academic research that us professors deal with a lot is a lot of time it's the accumulation of stress. And it's not just that one Super Bowl moment. It's all the accumulation of that. So I, I love that perspective. Uh, but I, I would say in both instances, whether you're building up to the Super Bowl with one or two or three months of preparation or you're 
spreading it out over 81 home games, there's still that chance for us to burn out. And there's still those stressors that come into play. Yeah, and I think when you mentioned the burnout piece, it's interesting, right? Because that can have many different definitions in a lot of industries, right? If you're on Wall Street, I mean, burnout could be pretty instant, right? Depending, sure. depending on the hours. Uh, burnout could also be, if you're in another industry that's just really monotonous and the same all the time, burnout could be pretty quickly there just in the sense that you're not challenged or it's you know the same thing over and over. Uh, for some people that works, for some it doesn't. When you think about sports, and there's kind of that that threshold of uh, you see at some point people either burn out and drop out and go into a different industry, or they just continue on and maybe they stay with the same organization or they go to different ones. What what do you see in terms of when you educate and you prepare those individuals to go into the industry? What are some of the things that you try and uh, teach in terms of ways in which to handle? Uh, how, how to go about the stress and how to go about seeing it uh, as actually an opportunity and not uh, something that's bad. Yeah, there, you know, there's several things that, that we talk about when it's related to that. I think the first thing to point out is your, your last point, that not all stress is bad stress. You know, there's something called eustress, which is uh, essentially good stress. That's the stress that um, when you're preparing for something at your job at the tour, that that kind of gets you pumped up and, you know, if, gosh, I, I really got to get in there and do this. That's a good stress. It's the stress that keeps you awake at night. It's the stress that makes you worry and keeps you from missing a meal. That's the bad stress, you know. It's the stress where it's tight in your shoulders and your neck. That's, that's not the good stress. Um, so some of the things that, that I like to, to talk with students about, um, one is just the basic idea of self-care. And we tend to neglect that. And that's not a sports industry thing. That's a, that's, that's a nationwide phenomenon. We, we don't take care of ourselves. And I don't mean that we have to take care of ourselves and be in the same pristine condition that the, the linebacker on the field is. But we have to take care of ourselves in terms of getting sleep. And I know that's a bit laughable. I'm sure some of your listeners are going to say, there's no sleep in this industry. We have to find time to get sleep. It's just a reality. Um, you know, I remember uh, back in Russell Wilson's heyday, and, and he's still a phenomenal player, but, you know, near his Super Bowl run, uh, I remember he had this phrase, no time to sleep. And I remember thinking, no, 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 no don't, don't say that. There, you have to make time to sleep. You know, you have to recharge, you have to reboot. Um, so self-care is, is one of the things that I try to impress upon uh, some of the students when we have these conversations. Another thing is the, the reframing aspect. Um, you know, it, it's really easy for us to get down, to get negative. And in fact, we, we know from the, again, the, the nerdy academic research, we tend to pay more attention to the negative things than we do the positive things because the negative things are a threat to us. So I may be really tempted if I, you know, say the only position I can get in the industry is for a single A baseball team in the middle of Montana. And that's just not ideal for me. And I'm really down on, you know, down in the dumps. Well, I can reframe that positively and say, Hey, guess what? 
I'm working in the industry and there are a ton of people who don't have this job. You know, you can flip it on its head and make it positive. You know, you can do that with your commute. Uh, right now, a lot of us aren't commuting because we're working from home, but there are plenty of times when I've been sitting still on Interstate 275 here in Tampa, and I would be very tempted to, you know, bang the steering wheel and yell and scream, or I can positively reframe that and say, hey, guess what? The end of my destination is a really good job at USF that I'm excited to go to. And so that positive reframing, it sounds a bit hokey, sounds a bit, uh, you know, kind of fluffy. Let's sit around the fire and sing Kumbaya, but there's something to it because if we can take those little negative stressors, flip them, make them a positive, that helps with that accumulation piece. So those are a couple of things that I, that I try to share that are fairly easy to, to start implementing. Yeah, no, those are great points. And I, I do want to go back to your first one because it's interesting. And in, in uh, the book that I co-authored, you know, we, as we provided advice to student athletes, we, we provided the explanation of like, look, a 24 hour day is a simple calculation, right? If we're being generous, you're working 10 hours a day, which means 50 hours a week, which in sports is, is pretty generous, right? So when you think about 10 hours a day, let's say you mentioned sleep earlier, you want to get at least eight hours of sleep, quote unquote, via medical advice, right? Sure. That's 18 hours. Now you got six left. Well, you got to commute. Most people will just factor in an hour. You got five hours. You got to work out. That's four hours. You got to eat. That's three. Like you just start going down that train. Yeah. How many hours do you really have? And so then it's really just a calculation and a big spreadsheet at some point, not to yeah. make life, you know, analytical and, and data centric. Right. But it's okay. If I'm going to sleep this many hours and work this many hours, my commute is this, and all these things are pretty stable. Well, there's not a whole lot of change there and you got to kind of figure out what you're going to do and what you're going to prioritize. Right. And right. Uh, I would be sitting here lying and said that I knew how many hours it took to take care of kids and be married and have a family, but I don't, you know, I'm not in that space yet. And I know that that's, so as you get older, right, you, you tack on even more. I mean, when you think about the, the resilience to bounce back and, and avoid burnout, right, you, you're going to deal with more stress as you go on. Is right. that what you found? Yeah, you know, I, I, I think to your point, it's, it's us being intentional, about factoring in this self-care, uh, and I, you know, I think one of the one of the chief among them uh, is is sleep. But you know, it it never gets easier. And what I mean by that is, you know, I remember a boss telling me one time early on in my my career, he said, you know, we're all very tempted to spend as much as we make. Everybody thinks when they get a raise, you know, if I get a thousand dollar raise, I'm going to save a thousand dollars. No we end up spending probably 750 of that, right? Because we have it. Well, it's the same idea I found with sleep. Before we had kids, I thought, well, now's the time to get sleep. And it was hard to get sleep. Then we had kids and we didn't get any sleep. And I would always think, you know, when, when, they're, when they're seven, when they're five and they're sleeping better, I'm gonna get sleep. Well, now they're seven, four. And my wife and I like to still stay up and, you know, we're binge watching Ozark right now and to the detriment of sleep. So, you know, I have to constantly remind myself too, that it doesn't 
we're always going to fill that time with stuff. Mm -hmm. We have to make it intentional, you know, and that's, I know myself, I know I need probably six to seven to function six to seven hours. And so about midnight, we shut it down. You know, I want to watch five more episodes, but we shut it down because I'm not in college anymore. I can't do that. <laughs> no, you make a good point. And as we kind of transition this episode to the emotional intelligence piece, which you hit on earlier, and then the persuasion piece of, you know, when you think about persuasion, everyone immediately jumps to let's sales, right? Uh, or, you know, I'm going to need to persuade someone to buy something in order to benefit me. Um, not necessarily. You can actually use persuasion in a lot of different ways and would love for you to expand on that. And the one example I'll give real quick is, you know, it, depending on the environment, the organization you're in, you may have to persuade someone in a way that makes your idea their idea so that it becomes their idea. They take credit for it and it's a win-win. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure that people are listening right now. They go, yep, I've done that before. But enlighten us a little bit on the persuasion end of things. Yeah, you know, persuasion, that's, that's a, a loaded term. And, but it is very valuable if we can learn some of the basics and you're absolutely right that there are times when we're going to have to persuade somebody in our, you know, in, in the team, in the, in the business, wherever we work, if it's outside of sports, inside of sports, doesn't matter. We're going to have to persuade them that my idea is a good idea because lots of people come to the table with ideas, you know, lots of people come to the table and say, well, we should do this, but they haven't thought it through, or we should do this. And they thought it through, but they don't pitch it in the right way. They don't teach it. They don't pitch it in a way that's persuasive. So I think that's where we can kind of cut through the clutter is using uh, persuasion. Uh, so some of the things just when giving a, a verbal presentation, for example, is the body language, you know, a lot of times we, when we're up in front of people, we, we don't have a, a confident posture. Um, and we're, as the listener, as the person who's receiving the pitch, we, we can, we're pretty perceptive and we can see that. And I can say, oh, Jake, you know, man, he doesn't look very confident, confident in his pitch there versus when you do look confident in it, then I start to believe that. Um, and then to the other point you mentioned up front, uh, introducing this section, when it comes to sort of helping someone, I don't want to say believe it's their idea, but I, but I know exactly what you're talking about. And I had, I had another mentor tell me that one time uh, in relation to someone. And he said, you know, if you'll, if you'll, if you'll help them believe it was their idea, then it will go through versus my idea. And that's hard. That's it's it's very tricky. Um, but you can do some really subtle things, you know, kind of like what we're doing here by reaffirming what the person on the other side of the table or the other side of the Zoom call has said and to take that reaffirmation of, say, point X and extend it into point Y. And all of a sudden, point Y is where we want to end up. And the person on the other end tends to look at that and say, oh, okay, I see how we got there. So essentially it was my idea. And there's nothing really, it's not untruthful. It's, it's collaborative. 
Am yeah, I making sense there? Yeah, no, no. Okay. I think the collaborative piece is, is so important in that, uh, you know, whether you mention, you know, you look within sports, there's going to be a lot of egos, right? Not only on the field, but off the field too. And sure. so when you think about uh, how you, te- you know, how you, how you utilize teamwork to make the dream work, uh, you know, you're going to have to persuade people um, and you're only, and you're ultimately going to have to persuade internally most often to be able to persuade externally, right? Your, your internal persuasions are probably a lot more of an important skill than it is externally. Absolutely. You know, because before I can ever convince the fans to, you know, I think about the Rays, you know, they're constantly, I don't think it's any, um, it's not like it's private information. The Rays struggle with attendance, right? Um, and so they're constantly offering these really innovative ticket packages. Um, in fact, they were going to offer one this season, which who knows where the MLB season is going to go right now. Uh, but they were going to offer a ticket package where I think it was uh, someone, a listener can probably correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I think it would, you buy three ticket, three game tickets. And if the Rays win one or two of those games, you get a fourth game for free. I don't know. I thought it was innovative. That's, that's the point. Someone had to convince internal stakeholders at the Rays that it was worth doing because it kind of sounds a little bit hokey. It sounds kind of like a wild idea for the MLB. So before they could ever convince me to buy those tickets, someone at the Rays organization had to say, hey, I've got this idea. And who knows, you and I have no idea how it really went down in the organization but you're absolutely right. Someone had to convince a key stakeholder in the Tampa Bay Rays organization, let's offer this new ticket package. Cause I've never heard of that at other, you know, at other major league baseball teams. Well, and, and to our last point of the episode in, in the sense of emotional intelligence, you have to be self-aware and, and, and aware of your surroundings of perhaps how that idea might be perceived. Right. Yeah. It, timing is everything. Timing is everything with jobs. Timing is everything with also situations internally as well. You know, where, where people are in terms of timelines uh, of projects and, you know, workloads and all that sort of stuff of, of what can get paid attention to and what kind of, you know, timelines and deadlines you're fighting. So when you think about the emotional intelligence piece, what advice do you give to those students and those that are going into the industry about EI early on, because it's something that a lot of leaders learn about over their career, but it's not something that people necessarily pay attention to early on. Yeah. When it comes to EI, I think there's two critical points that would help someone uh, early career in the industry. The, the first is that, you know, depending on where you look at EI, different people slice it up in different things, uh, different facets. But one of the facets that's pretty common is this awareness of others. So am I right now, am I aware of Jake's emotions, right? And being able to decipher your emotions and then being able to use that information to help our relationship. Same goes with if I'm trying to pitch something to you, if I can be aware of your emotional state at a given time or a given week or even a given month, If I'm aware of that, that information is going to help me to know is is now a good time to pitch this idea. And it may be a pretty 
small benign kind of idea, you know, maybe you're just wanting to have a, uh, you know, a, a Led Zeppelin night at the, at the ballpark or something, no harm. But if, if now is not a good time, I need to hold that pitch in and not deliver it because I can tell by being aware of your emotional state, now's not the time. I remember early in my career though, I didn't do that. I, I had an agenda, you know, all right, today is Tuesday, today is Wednesday, today is the day I'm going to pitch to Jake these three ideas. And it didn't matter what happened that day. I thought, you know, it's on my to-do list, I've gotta do it. Versus having the awareness of saying, wait a minute, now is not the time to begin pitching this idea. I can tell that Jake is stressed. I can tell that Jake is tired. I can tell that there's something going on that I don't know about. So I think that one, the awareness of others. I think the second point of EI that can really help anybody, but especially those new in the industry is empathy. I don't know if, um, I don't know if you listen to any of the, the Gary V podcast or, or follow him on Twitter. Every, every podcaster has to have those that they listen to to try and get better, right? Yeah, and Gary Vee is phenomenal. Um, and he, he tweeted something a long time ago, and I, I, I did a screen grab of it, and I use it all the time. And he said, empathy is a superpower. And at first when he tweeted that, I thought, oh, that's, that's nice. And I kept scrolling. And then it kind of sunk in, and I went back and I, I took the screen grab, up, and now I use it in presentations all the time. Empathy is a superpower. And what that means, I think it ties back into sort of the, the awareness of others, um, but just acting with, with kindness. You know, you're absolutely right. There are a lot of egos in sports. There's a lot of egos in every industry. Um, I believe at the end of the day that when we act with empathy and we treat others well, that that's going to return to us. And it sounds like a bit of a selfish thing, kind of like, well, if I treat Jake well, he's going to end up giving me something. And that's not what I mean. I mean, acting with empathy, treating people well and saying, I'm going to treat Jake well, regardless of whether or not he gives me something in return. I believe that Gary Vee is absolutely right. Empathy is a superpower. And that's a huge part of the emotional intelligence equation. Yeah, no, you make a great point. And I appreciate that you would be kind to me no matter what, you know, I, that's I, right. But I am expecting a thousand dollars. I'm afraid I can't do that, but, but uh, you know, please do not treat me poorly. Um, <laughs> when you think about, uh, I'm going to throw you a curveball here as, as okay. we wrap up the episode. Sure. Uh, because every, every educator has to love curveballs. When you think about what we're, how, how people are learning now, right, from a, from a virtual standpoint, right. people are having to educate virtually, how people are having to work virtually, we're all learning. But I want to know and, and get your insights on how emotional intelligence is going to be affected by the virtual uh, we'll call it the virtual reality of the, of the world we live in. Right. In the yeah. sense of, uh, look, I can see your face through the zoom. I don't know a whole lot else from a body, you know, mannerism perspective, body language, and you might be able to turn your camera off on me. And, and, mm -hmm. and it's just in terms of the differences, right. There's going to be have to have to be ways that people in the industry adjust, but how, how you're adjusting with, the educational piece will also affect how 
those who enter the industry will impact us in the industry? Yeah. So I think the biggest curveball was in March when I saw a class, I saw two classes for the first class because they were eight week classes. And then the mandate came down for pretty much every college in the country, you're online. So I had to begin teaching online and I had to balance and a lot of professors had to balance with the stressful times that we're in. We had to think through a couple of things. Do I want the class to be in real time like this where every night or every, you know, say every Monday night we sit down at six o'clock and we have class or do I want to give them the ability to not have to be anywhere at a certain day or a certain time so that it can, they could work with within their own schedules. I chose the second, which was to give them that flexibility. But what I gave up was the interaction. What I gave up was the ability to be with them online in a Zoom or a Microsoft Teams session and to be able to, to see their face on a video chat, uh, to hear their voice, which with emotional intelligence, that's, I've got, I've, I've got to be able to see you and I got to be able to hear you in, in, to, in order to be able to figure out and to get that data, so to speak, to figure out where your emotional state is. Um, and I gave that up. And, but what happened was I was getting several emails, you know, um, an assignment was due on a, on a Wednesday, for example, and I would get an email on Thursday morning, you know, hey, Dr. Clayton, I was um, doing this, this, and this, and it sounded legit. And normally I may be really tempted to say, you know what, you know, the late policy here, you know, whatever it is, a deduction of points to zero, whatever the case is. But I tried my best. I tried not to get taken advantage of, but I tried my best to, you know, to read between the lines of what they were saying and to pick up as much information as I could and say, okay, I will, I'll get, I'll give you an extension, which I don't commonly do. And, you know, one of the examples was, uh, was a student who was a practice manager or still is a practice manager of five different urgent cares. And she had had a bad day because she had to lay off half of her staff. You know, she was the one responsible for saying, you don't have a job right now, you're furloughed. When she emailed and said, hey, listen, I understand if I can't have an extension, but can I have a day or two? I promise I'll get this to you. I had the choice of either acting with ego or acting with empathy. I chose empathy and that not, I don't, I didn't do, you know, I'm not saying that to make me sound good, but my assumption is that she was being truthful and that's not a good spot to have to be in. You know, she had to lay off or furlough half of her staff because of the current pandemic. And I very well could have just stuck to my policy in the syllabus, which said, eh, you get a zero. Trying to read emotional, gather emotional data or information from an email is extremely hard. Um, you do run the risk of being taken advantage of, but in that environment, you do the best that you can when possible. It's, it's incredible to do this, to be able to see a face, to be able to hear a voice, pick up that nonverbal behavior, even, even, you know, the tone of the voice, you know, when you ask someone, you know, is everything okay? When they say yes, you can tell by their voice inflection if everything is okay. 
So trying to do that, trying to have meetings with students, do computer mediated or even just the phone. A couple of times I picked up the phone and we've had office hours through a phone call. That's where I've picked up that emotional information. So I think the takeaway for anyone in industry, for anyone listening is try, try if possible to have a richer communication channel. Yeah, I think the the rich communication channel is important and not only just now, but, but, but every day and, yeah. and every day going forward too. And understanding uh, from the emotional intelligence piece too, what mode of communication do people prefer and how can you best communicate to efficiently use your time to not burn out and we'll, we'll just go yeah. on and on down the list, right? If you're on you know, 10 hours straight of Zoom calls and that stresses you out, figure out if there's a way to effectively do it otherwise, right? So um, I think that goes without saying and, and can sometimes be common sense stuff, but at the same time can only serve as a nice little reminder. Um, Dr. Clayton, really appreciate you taking the time to participate in our Building the Next Generation series with the Vinick Sport and Entertainment Management Program on the Life in the Front Office podcast. Uh, appreciate the time.